is sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Whoever wrote that editorial and the narrative that comes out of some other writings recently just doesn't know what really happens in this White House. I've seen this president in action. Is he demanding? Yes. Is he a strong leader who expects things done yesterday? Yes. The, the Papadopoulos thing is, is ludicrous and always has been. What you end up with is the doors closing in on the people who committed the crimes. Comey, McCabe, Brennan, Strzok. And now, Stacey Washington. What are we going to talk about? A lot of really cool things. Namely, we're going to have a few guests. We're going to be talking with, um, who are we talking with today? Well, I'll tell you. We have one guest on the program today. It's Jason Hill, professor of philosophy at DePaul University, author of We Have Overcome, and... Also, we're going to be discussing uh, something that I touched on yesterday very briefly, which was this. uh, So we had this fantastic speaker at church. He's been to our church a few times before since my husband and I have been there. We've been at this church for a pretty good amount of time. And every time astrophysicist Dr. Hugh Ross has come, it has been a multi. he, He doesn't preach the same thing at all three of our services. And this weekend it happened to be a conference. So he was there in residence with one of his researchers Friday evening, most of the day Saturday, and then Sunday, two services. So we heard just a portion of everything that he had to share, but we are, you know, we, we do the reasons to believe. We have the books, uh, not all of his 40 books. We have, we are, we're building our, our library of Hugh Ross books. And I mentioned something about creation yesterday, and I, I, don't, I don't even actually remember the context. All I know is it upset uh, a few people. And so we're going to go through that. But instead of having me explain it, since I'm no astrophysicist, Um, I actually found some audio of Dr. Hugh Ross explaining it, and he's been consistent on this point. Not only has he written a book specifically about the seven days of creation, but he's also spent a copious amount of time speaking about this across the country and internationally. So he's a man who I think probably, and I might have said this at the time, is one of the most intelligent speakers. He's brilliant. I've, I've never sat and listened to someone for hours and hours and hours of Q&A, as I have with Dr. Ross, and heard every question imaginable. Sometimes the questions are so far above what I know scientifically that it's like the person speaking another language. And then Dr. Ross will break down the question in lay terms so the rest of us can catch up and then answer it. And he's never stumped. He, I, I believe he's memorized the entire Bible. There's never a passage of scripture that you can name that he can't cross-reference to all of the other mentions in the Bible and then go back to that scripture, quote it in its entirety, the parts you left out included, and then answer the question. So it's no doubt in my mind that he, he's a preeminent expert in the field of astrophysics and Christian apologetics. And I also am firm in that belief because our pastor only brings in speakers who have been vetted and are thoroughly rooted in the Christian worldview and don't 
they, they don't waste their time arguing about the minutia. And so one of the most important things that we can do here is the, the back and forth between the listener and me. That's what this is. And I am willing to, first of all, I have to be willing to be corrected as, as a child of the king. And I'm also willing to um, engage on subjects. But I'm not willing to be the whipping post or, you know, the, if, if you're upset about programming changes or things that, that aren't to your liking, I'm not willing to be the whipping post for that. And that's, that's not biblical. So doormat Christianity, that's not Christianity. But in the same token, if there's something that I can go into further and explain or further expound upon or bring you audio that someone is expounding upon it to answer a question, I will definitely do that. And that's what's the case here. So you've got Dr. Hugh Ross talking about the seven days of creation, days being the operative term here. He's written not just one book about this, numerous books about this, but specifically he's going to talk about the book that he wrote that covers this topic. And, and when I'm stumped on something like this, it's great if I'm listening to a speaker or if I'm listening to a radio show and they cover something that I'm not sure about. If I do some research on it and I can't get that full data, if they've mentioned a book, I'll go get it from the library because I'm not always willing to shell out bucks to have a book um, that I'm not sure is going to be of value to me. And I'll find the relevant portion and try to cross-reference it. And so, you know, not to belabor the point, but He's, he's written all of the books on the subject. And I think it's not something that we should divide over. And, and I, that, is, that is the main point to what you're going to hear from him and from me is that there are certain things we have to divide over, like whether there's a trinity or whether you can come to salvation and make it to heaven in any other mode but Jesus Christ. Those are things to divide over. Those are doctrinal issues that separate Christians from others. This particular item, whether or not day means 24 hours or whether it means long period of time, is not something that we should divide over. We should not divide as a doctrinal issue that prevents people from coming to salvation in Jesus Christ, but it is worth discussing. And if it can help someone who's on the fence, then definitely we need to do that. So here's Dr. Hugh Ross explaining the seven days of creation. It's, a, it's the first part of the clip. We only have two. Number seven. I'm going to give you a brief answer, but if you want the long answer, it's in this book, A Matter of Days. And I wrote the book uh, with the intent of trying to bring some resolution to this debate within the Christian church. Are the days in Genesis 1 24-hour periods uh, or long periods of time? Now, you're right. The word yom that's translated day in Genesis 1 has a variety of literal definitions, actually four. It can mean the portion of the daylight hours, all of the daylight hours, the 24-hour period, or a long but finite period of time. And incidentally, that's common to uh, nouns in the Hebrew language. Uh, the word earth that you see in Genesis 1 has five different literal definitions. The word heaven has three different literal definitions. And it's simply the result of the fact that in biblical Hebrew, there are very few nouns. So whatever nouns you have, they have to do multiple duty. And in biblical Hebrew, the only word you have to describe a long, finite period of time is that word yom. So if Moses wanted to describe a long period of time, it's the only word he could have used. Now, you heard in my uh, talk how there are 20 major creation accounts in the Bible. Now, what we do in this book is we take you through those 20 accounts. Because the position we take at Reasons to Believe 
is that you want to take the Bible both literally and consistently. And so our problem with the 24-hour view is that you've got the 20 different creation accounts contradicting one another. Uh, but if it's six consecutive long periods of time, then all 20 creation accounts uh, are consistent. So do you hear what he's saying there? He's saying that there are 20 different accounts of the creation in the Bible. So we're not just talking about the one that's in Genesis. And that just goes to show you the level of, of the depth of research that Hugh Ross has done in order to be correct. Because what he's faced, especially since he came from an atheistic home, he, he grew up reading and really he was, his main interest was astronomy. And he read every book on astronomy that was at his library. He grew up in Canada. And at one point, he got to a place where at 17 years old, for the very first time in his, in his life, he was exposed to the Bible and he saw the creation account and he saw that things he'd read in his astronomy books actually verified the creation story. But, but he's not a young earth creationist. And again, not a reason to divide, right? Uh, I know young earth creationists. I, I don't think it's a reason why we should then separate off and, and fight and, and even fight wars uh, over something like that. So he, he's reconciling the first account of creation with the other 20 accounts. So remember, the Bible is true, the whole Bible. And it, when people say it contradicts, it's because you don't understand the context and you also have not looked to see what it says in the Hebrew. It, it's, it's not just a book you pick up and read from cover to cover and understand it completely like some Dr. Zeus book. It's, 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 it's the word of God. So in order to, for us to have a conversation about it, you have to be speaking about it in the context of what Dr. Hugh Ross is describing. So here he is finishing it up a little bit, and I encourage you, I'll put a link to this on the Facebook page. You can go there, click that link, and then there are numerous videos of him explaining this. If you prefer to hear it in his own words rather than read his books, you can find enough data out there, enough of these videos out there for you to fully understand where he's coming from. Does that mean it changes your mind? I don't know. I'm not in your mind. But what I do know is if you listen to what he's saying, it's much more beneficial than you simply coming at me and saying, you're spouting off a bunch of drivel. You don't know the Bible. You're, you're taking the word of some man over the word of God and basically insulting me and then closing off with because I'm a Christian and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. No. Okay. So here's the, the, the resolution to this. It's number eight. Or maybe no. Um, I'm not sure what's going on there. But we have some more audio for you about him explaining the seven days of creation and how the seventh day is, um, how the seventh day is really, according to him, the day that we're still living in. So, and when I say the day that we're still living in, it's an extended period of time. What what I mentioned when this all came about, the, the brouhaha, is that there are um, these long periods of time and that the word day in Hebrew means more than, it has more than one meaning. It has four meanings. And one of those four meanings is extended period of time. And that he uses the information from the Bible and astrophysics and the fossil record to prove the Bible. So as opposed to people who say that the fossil record proves uh, you know, with all the gaps and all of the things that they don't know, that that proves uh, evolution, 
Dr. Hugh Ross says it's the opposite. The further along we get in our knowledge of science and astrophysics, dark matter, dark energy, all of these things that are, are sometimes played around with in the sci-fi movies and things like that, all of those things actually point to the creation story being absolutely correct. He happens not to be a young earth uh, you know, creationist, but that's, that's neither here nor there if you're listening to what he's saying for proof that the Bible is true. Um, so we should have that audio for you in just a minute. I'm going to give you a preview of uh, hour two. We also are going to be listening to some audio from Joe DiGenova. And he talks about Papadopoulos, a name that's been in the news quite a bit recently. Papadopoulos getting 14 days in prison and what that means. Now, this was to me one of the most fascinating pieces of audio. It's up on the Facebook page if you want to listen to it after the show. And he talks about um, how the Mueller investigation has really turned up nothing and how Mueller has been really upset about the fact that he feels like he was given, you know, a pig's ear to, to try to investigate. It's just like nothing there, no substance. And so he's been searching around in the kind of tertiary directions, trying to go go around and find something else that they could convict on. There's a possibility that that they feel like they have something in the way of obstruction as it pertains to General Flynn and President Trump's handling of that matter. But it still remains to be seen whether or not a court would say that the president can obstruct. Because remember, we've played audio on this show of numerous legal experts, some of them on the left, saying that the president cannot obstruct justice, especially when you're talking about someone that's in, in his employ. Um, and, and so to me, it's just common sense. Would the president try to stop the prosecution of one of his employees that he felt was innocent? Well, what would any person do that thought that their friend or employee or what have you was innocent, they would try to prevent that person from being wrongly accused or wrongly persecuted. Does it amount to him actually using government to do that? I don't know. I don't know. Um, okay, so we've got something wrong with that second audio clip, and I need it because I want to close this out um, from the attack that I received over the this issue. We'll see what we can do about that. When we get back, we'll have Jason Hill, professor of philosophy at DePaul University, He's an author, and he'll be with us right after this. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. You know, the very first day in Israel, when we're staying in Jerusalem, we go to the Mount of Olives. And it's there at the Mount of Olives we look out over the old city of Jerusalem. It's a spectacular sight. You've seen it in pictures before, but it's another thing to actually be there as we walk down from the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane and we pray there. It's going to be a wonderful time with brothers and sisters from around the country visiting the Holy Land, the land of Jesus. If you want information on this March 14th through the 22nd tour, just call us and we'll send you a brochure. Call 1-800-FAMILIES, F-A-M-I-L-I-E-S, option five, and leave us your name and your address and we'll mail you a brochure. 
Or if you want to simply go online at twholyland.com, everything's there. twholyland.com. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. My wife Karen and I have been on the blessing end of the kindness and generosity of God's people. For over 30 years, we served as missionaries, and during that time, God raised up encouraging allies in our ministry. They supported us financially. They prayed for us. They sent encouraging letters, and God frequently used them to keep us going. Likewise, in our church ministry at Fellowship Bible Church in Roswell, Georgia, God has used key people at key moments to spur us on. In Titus chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, tucked away in Paul's final instructions to Titus are some helpful insights on giving and being generous. Diligently help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they may not be unfruitful. Let me point out three observations about sharing and giving from this passage. One, it is our privilege and responsibility to support those who are engaged in fruitful ministry. When you see people engaged in doing something good, come alongside them, write them a check, send them a note of encouragement, give of your time or give of yourself to them. Number two, encouraging and supporting others should be a priority. It's something you ought to do. Thirdly, our own fruitfulness depends upon our generosity. Giving is a command. It's not just something that we like to do or that we should do. No, giving is something we have to do. Here's what I want you to remember and do today. Do you know anyone serving the Lord who needs a little encouragement, maybe even financial help? Why don't you sit down and write them a note and perhaps send them a gift? This will bless their heart and yours. More information about the ministry of Crawford Loritz can be found online at livingalegacy.org. You can download episodes of Stacy of the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. We will see about having that audio for you in the last segment. Right now, it's my pleasure to welcome Jason Hill, professor of philosophy at DePaul University, author of We Have Overcome. Jason, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. So let's talk about this book. You have, uh, the book is called We Have Overcome Immigrants in America. An Immigrant's Letter to the American People, yes. Yes, yes. So talk to us about why you wrote the book, first off. Well, I wrote the book because, you know, I'm a great patriot of this country and came to America when I was 20 years old from Jamaica and as a legal immigrant and now a proud American citizen. And um, had fallen in love with America long before I came here. And in the last year and a half, had grown very, very disenchanted with the attacks against America, more particularly coming from the alt-left. People like Ta-Nehisi Coates, who had written a book called Between the World and Me, in which he attacked America as an intrinsically unjust, racist, imperialist society that was built on the black of blacks and other minorities, and that it was intrinsically unjust, people like Cornel West, who continue to denigrate America. And I decided that another narrative had to be told, that America is an exceptional country, that it is the greatest country on earth, it is the most moral country on earth. And I wanted to write a book 
extolling the virtues of why I think America is so exceptional and why I think her people are so exceptional. So I wrote this book as a love letter to the American people, explaining two things, how immigrants such as myself had come to America and seen not a country uh, that is intrinsically bigoted, but a country lined with gold and had made something remarkable, remarkable of their lives, had made something successful of their lives. And I wanted to explain to the American people exactly what is the moral meaning of America, what makes America so exceptional. I have lived in other countries. I lived in New York for a year, and I've had the privilege of visiting many, many countries. So I wrote this book as an homage, as a sort of celebration of America in an age of what I call America's phobia. So first off, I want to say thank you for that, because I think it's, it's, it's unique that you've written a book. I'm looking at the cover. We have overcome Jason D. Hill. Your, your face is on the cover. You, you are a person of the permanent tan, such as myself. And it's not exactly popular, Dr. Hill, to, uh, to be you know, permanently tanned, as we are, and say things like what you just said, let alone write a book about an homage to a country that you love and, and see as intrinsically good. I agree with yeah. you 100%. And I, I, I think one of the reasons, like, so you're coming from a perspective of you're an immigrant, a legal immigrant, and you came into the country using the rules and procedures that exist, and you were able to come in, and you know what the country that you grew up in, what that's like, a beautiful country, but not America. And I've always been an American citizen, but I grew up in Germany and I traveled all over Europe and I went to Russia back when it was the USSR. Then when I was an adult and I was on active duty in the military, I went to Saudi Arabia. And so I've been to the Middle East. And I I tell you, there's nothing so stark as spending an extended period of time in another country, even a country as beautiful and fantastic and wonderful, like my second home or third home after Germany would be Switzerland. I love that country. Um, And even as wonderful as it is, as wonderful and beautiful as Switzerland is, and as much as I enjoyed it there, and as much as I really, I, I, it's no secret. I wish I could live there for six weeks a year. I would, if I, if I could make it work, I would live there for six weeks every year and they'd be so sick of me, but they would also be getting free commercialization because I think the country is wonderful. There's no place on earth like America. And once you leave this country and go to other countries and you stay there for longer than a day or two, it becomes patently obvious that America is not just the tip top, but it is, it's like God's jewel on this planet. There are other beautiful places, but there's no place with the variance of beauty that America has. And I could go on and on and on, but it sounds like you already understand that because you went ahead and wrote a book about it. That's right. So how do we get other people to understand why we feel this way? Because it really, it, you get attacked. If you say you love America and you're black, people, well, you weren't even a, uh, a whole person back when the Constitution was formed. The Pledge of Allegiance is racist. The, the uh, Star-Spangled Banner, racist. All people are doing is tearing it down, and they're doing so in the name of racial equality, which is garbage. But how do we get people to understand what you know? We get people to understand that America is a country that is progressive by nature in the sense that built into its DNA are self-correcting mechanisms. We are a country that has at its core a self-correcting mechanism where we're always seeking to correct our flaws. Our, Our Constitution has several amendments to it, which means that our founding fathers realized that they too were not infallible creatures, that they too were prone to errors, and that they could foresee a future in which 
the limitations of their vision for America could not be radically changed in, in the sense that the fundamental meaning of liberty and freedom and inalienable rights could be changed, but that the pantheon of the human community could be widened to include, the domain of the ethical could be widened to include those who had been excluded at the time of its writing. And if you look at the history of this country, you realize that today, those who had been excluded from the pantheon of the human community, from the domain of the ethical, are now included in that domain. We are a self-correcting country who are we're always, we're always interested in two things. One is expanding the meaning of what it means to be an American. So today, any immigrant, any legal immigrant, any person coming to this country can contribute to what it means to be an American. And the second thing is that I find exceptional about this country is that and I have studied world history very, very carefully because it's part of what I do as a, as, a, as a living, is that we are an unprecedented phenomenon. We are the only country in, in, the, in the history of humanity whose citizenship laws are not based on blood or lineage or nationality or race. It is theoretically open to anyone. I lived in Germany for a while, and it's not until recently that Germany revised its citizenship laws. You know, you could have been born in Germany as a Turk, as a Jamaican. Your children could have been born there. You could never have been German because until quite recently, if you could not prove German ancestry, America is couldn't be German. America is very different. America said, we don't care where you came from. Our citizenship laws are open to everyone regardless of race. And so long as you pledge allegiance to a set of civic and political uh, principles that tie the republic together, whether you're an atheist, you're a Republican, you're a Democrat, you're a libertarian, you pledge allegiance to a set of, of uh, principles that tie the republic together and that your tribal loyalties can't supersede the principles that it's adhering to, to the republic. We that's all that we ask of you. We don't ask that you give up your language, that you give up your customs, that you give up your, your, your way of, of, of your personal identity. When people look at the history of other nation states and they look at how America was formed and how America continues to be formed, that really, really boggles the mind. You know, we, we have given, and the third founding of this country, the 1964 Civil Rights Passage, the Act, that was passed in 1964, which granted full equality before the law to blacks, makes me really realize that this country is a role model of the country. Not that civil rights was some kind of, you know, gift. I mean, it was not, it was, it was, it was properly earned. But we are a country that is always trying to better itself. We're always trying to do justice and always trying to correct our flaws and our mistakes, and always trying to, whether it's marital equality, whether it's improving the sins of sexism or racism, or whatever it is that we're, we, we feel we have failed to confer humanity on those who have felt dehumanized, we do that job, and we do it quite well, I think. Well, I think we have in the past, but be, because of the increased pace of immigration from countries that are sending people here illegally, we are in danger mm-hmm. of losing that ability to convert any person from any nationality into an American. Assimilation takes time, and we're, we're at a place where the influx is exceeding the 
amount of time that someone needs to actually assimilate into American culture and become an American. So I, I, I can't disagree with, with what you've said as far as it pertains to how we really don't view it as a blood thing. I know I grew up in Germany and in order to be a German citizen, from what I understood as a kid, one of your parents had to be German. <laughs> so right. if, if yeah. you were an, an American soldier and you married a German woman, which happened, I mean, I remember some of my dad's soldiers marrying German women and their children would have dual citizenship. Now, in America, yeah. you have to choose when you turn 18. But in Germany, you know, they would allow you to have the, the dual citizenship as long as you could show that one of your parents was a German. And it wasn't because... They have a term for people there uh, when I was growing up, people who lived there who weren't German but were living as citizens there were called third country nationals, meaning they came yeah. from a third country <laughs> to Germany and they would be working there. And some of them would have been there for 30 or 40 years and had children and their children were third country nationals because, right. you know, no, no German parentage. And so it was uh, it, it was an interesting thing because in America you you need only just be born on the soil first of all which is yeah. a, a kind of a ludicrous uh perversion of the amendment that was meant to make sure that black slaves could not be turned away from america because they didn't have citizenship um yeah. and the children of slaves but be that as it may in america all you got to do is be born here and we don't we don't say like I know there's this thing that's in vogue right now calling black people African-Americans, even ones who've never been to Africa, calling people Irish-Americans and things like that. But the whole concept of America really pushes away the idea of hyphenation and puts us all on the same equal footing, whether you're rich yeah. and you immigrate or poor. And no matter which background you come from, as you said, with, you know, people who are atheists can immigrate into America. We're not a theocracy. Um, so it. I just I would like to see it preserved. I think what you've described is an accurate picture of what this country is, which children need to learn that so that they can love America and really appreciate what we have. But then there's the idea of preserving what the founders created, this unique experiment that has yielded the most prosperity and the most freedom and liberty and the most desire for people to be a part of this. How do you yeah. see us going about preserving that? How do we go about preserving it? Well, I yeah. think one of the ways that we go about preserving it is by um, continuing to foster in our educational system what I would call the principles of Americanism. That is individualism, self-reliance, the absence of a victim a victim identity. So victimology has to go out the door. The absence of identity politics. We have to continue remembering that part of our political DNA is not socialism, which is gaining ascendance in this country, but in free market enterprise and capitalism. That capitalism is the bedrock of this country. Capitalism saved this country. Capitalism made this country. The beacon of light that we speak of when immigrants and other people are attracted to this country is not because of it's necessarily uh, they're not coming here because of, you know, just American culture. They're coming here because they can achieve some kind of parity with their future compatriots, and that's through the free market capitalist system to start small businesses of their own to contribute to the American economy. I think what we're seeing in the 
educational system from K through 12, and certainly in the educational system, the higher educational system that I'm a part of, is a radical indoctrination of students into a very nefarious left-wing ideology where they're being taught that America is an imperialistic, unjust society, that capitalism is a bad, bad thing, that the antidote and the answer to it is something called socialism, which is really legalized theft of the well-earned money of private citizens. It's expropriation of people's money. And so I think that we've got to stand up and be proud of the foundational values of America and teach, continue to teach that in our educational system and not adopt a stance of, A, neutrality, as if America is, America's founding principles are neutral ones, to espouse the moral centrality of our, of our principles and our values, and we'll be proud of them, and to foster rational pride and a kind of rational patriotism, not some sort of, you know, mindless flag-bearing patriotism, but rational pride that is the moral meaning of America lies in these principles, people. Individualism, self-reliance, uh, capitalism, um, freedom of association, freedom of speech, all the very all the things that are contained in the amendments of the Bill of Rights that are very, very unique to this country. And instead, we, what we have are apologists for American greatness, or more recently, which motivated me to write, we have overcome detractors of the American dream, detractors of America, of America, which really, as I age, I get very, very angry at these things. But one of the things that makes me very, very angry uh, is the presence of entitled people living in this country who spew invective and vitriol against this great nation of ours, this great republic. And so I think we've got to start people, conservatives, people who identify as rational conservatives, or if there are liberals out there who identify themselves as rational liberals, they've got to start defending the foundational principles of their country because we are attacked from within. There are nefarious movements that want to destroy the greatness of this country by solving principles that are inimical and anathema to America. So I would say we have to start, first of all, within our educational system, system to make sure that our young people are very firmly educated in the foundational principles that make this country what it is. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Jason Hill, professor of philosophy at DePaul University and the author of We Have Overcome... I put the link on all the streams. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. All right. God bless. We'll be back with more right after this. One of the first steps to becoming a Christian is recognizing our sinful nature. What makes this so difficult is that we have selective vision when it comes to our own issues. It's easy for me to see your faults, but when it comes to seeing my own, then my eyesight automatically gets bad. One surefire way to measure new birth in Christ is by opened eyes and a clear vision. Sometimes we can pass between having sight and having no sight because we have fallen asleep to the needs around us, or our perspective on those things that are eternal is distorted. Whatever the case, there is nothing more dangerous than having blurred vision and still thinking that it's clear. Don't measure your vision by your own standards. It will be warped and distorted every time, but rather measure it by God's standards. God desires that our eyesight remains clear. 
So how is your eyesight today? With the heart for the urban family, I'm today's urban woman, Tony Johnson. Connect with us at urbanfamilytalk.com. Back to Genesis with Dr. John Morris, geologist and president of the Institute for Creation Research. Dr. Morris, do creationists say that the biblical flood laid down all the fossils? No, we don't, Chris. Now, we do think that the flood of Noah's day is responsible for most of the fossils in geologic strata, but certainly not all. We talk about a time of residual catastrophism after the flood, which included the Ice Age. During this time, a lot of fossils were formed. Ice Age fossils would typically lie on top of the flood fossils, which came earlier. Now, of course, there are some fossils being formed today in minor catastrophes, minor floods, minor tsunamis. But these are of local extent, not like the fossils in strata from the flood. Chris, the biblical story of Noah's flood is absolutely essential for a full creation understanding. Let's go back to Genesis and get it right. To learn more about creation, get our free DVD called That's a Fact. Call us at 800-628-7640 and mention the promo code FACT. Donald Trump's America. President Trump says the federal government is making preparations for Hurricane Florence making landfall. It looks to me and it looks to all of a lot of very talented people that do this for a living like this is going to be a storm that's going to be a very large one, far larger than we've seen in perhaps decades. The president getting a briefing from FEMA Director Brock Long and Kirsten Nielsen, the Secretary of Homeland Security. The safety of American people is my absolute highest priority. We are sparing no expense. Uh, we are totally prepared. We're ready. The president declared states of emergency for North and South Carolina and Virginia, freeing up federal money and resources for the federal government's storm response. Anticipating a powerful landfall, the Navy is sending 30 ships stationed in Virginia out to sea. At the White House, John Decker, Fox News. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hello. Welcome to the show. Um, pay no attention to the trolls. <laughs> Don't feed the trolls. And welcome back to the program. So, we had a little bit of corruption in our audio, but praise God, that has been fixed by our producer extraordinaire, Devin. So now we can go back to, we can circle back around to the discussion we were having in the first segment about the uh, astrophysicist, Dr. Hugh Ross, and his assertion that um, it's, it's a longer period of time in which God formed the earth. And he has an interesting point at the end, and I, I hope that you'll... Um, take this in the spirit of information. So if you listen to the clip, the first clip was in the first segment, then in this one now, and, and, and your mind isn't changed, God bless. Amen. If you listen to it and you want to know more, you go check the books out of the library, you buy them. Yes. Awesome. If you're not interested in ever hearing about this again, good for you. And I'm happy that you have, you know, your, your own feelings and, and they're valid and everything is still fine. This is not meant to be the end all presentation on this subject. It's not meant to divide Christians. It's not meant to drive Christians away. But I can tell you the Barna Group study that we covered at the Marriage and Family Conference in Tupelo, the conference at which Miki Addison spoke about the children leaving the faith, 
over and over again, hosts on this air and on AFR have all been talking about all of these children. They're 12 years old. They're sitting in the pew and their parents can't answer their scientific questions. Their teachers are in public school teaching them about evolution and leaving out all the gaps and the things that prove evolution is not true. When these kids ask their parents these questions and the parents can't answer, the kids believe the kids who are making fun of them. Oh, you're a Christian. That means you believe in fairy tales. The teachers are telling them, if your parents are teaching you about the creation story, your parents are using old information that's outdated. The updated information is here in your science book. So astrophysicists like Dr. Hugh Ross have taken the time to research the information and using his vast array of knowledge from his numerous degrees and teaching and and the research that he's done, he's able to answer a lot of these questions. And when we answer, when we have a reason for the hope that is within us, That glorifies God and it keeps people from being led astray. So it's not a reason to divide. We don't divide over these issues. And so I'm saying that because, you know, my first instinct is I'm ready to smack people down. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of the, from, from people who should know better. The response is, well, I thought I kind of liked your show, but then you said, blah, well, okay, you still have, you're, you have every right to your feelings, and whether or not you like the show doesn't impact whether or not something is true or not. This isn't about our feelings. It's about what is true, and it's not about dividing. It's about what information we can glean and then pray and then move on from there because we're not going to be sitting up debating this issue for the rest of our lives. We have bigger fish to fry, like discipling others, like putting our best foot forward in our relationships so we can draw others to the Father. That's far more important than whether or not you or I are young earth creationists. But here's Dr. Hugh Ross explaining the, the rest of it so you can have some a nugget of information. If you want to go further, there's so much more. Uh, it's number eight. Now, the thing that persuaded me at age 17, reading the Bible for the first time, is that when you look at Genesis 1, you've got an evening and a morning for the first six days. But there's no evening and morning for the seventh day. I looked for it and it wasn't there. Well, the evening and morning minimally would be bracketing the beginning and the ending of each creation day. So it told me day seven, though it had a beginning, had not yet finished. And it's that period of time when God rests from his work of creation. And when I read Genesis 1 at age 17, for me it answered the enigma of the fossil record. When we look before humanity, we see an abundance of scientific evidence for speciation. But after humanity, we don't see any. Well, for six days God creates. On the seventh day he rests. That's why we don't see anything happening now. But that tells us that the seventh day also is a long period of time. And if you want 18 more biblical arguments, then you'll have to get the book. But uh, what I try to do in the book is I finish it off with a set of predictions, saying if the young earth model is correct, this is what scientists and theologians will discover in the next 12 to 18 months. But if the old earth model is right, then the next 12 to 18 months, they will discover opposite things. And so we wait 12 to 18 months and we see whose predictions have come true. Then we can move on to the next church splitting controversy that's got no bearing on salvation doctrine. Did you hear that? So on numerous points over the weekend when Dr. Hugh Ross was speaking at our church, he talked about how some different issues that have to do with science and the Bible have actually been large enough within the body of Christ that people have gone to war over them. 
nations have warred over individual doctrinal issues. He says that, and rightly so, I agree with him, there are, are so many other things we need to be doing as Christians, namely discipling people and bringing them to Christ, caring for the sick and the infirm, visiting the prisoners that are imprisoned, you know, taking care of the widows, adopting the orphans, tithing. There's so much more that we need to do, but instead we're busy arguing over whether or not you are, well, you're not a young earth creationist, so I can't listen to anything else you have to say. Well, you might miss that very thing that you need to hear, whether it's political or cultural or about marriage and family or biblical. You might miss that if you're just willing to shut people off and lop them off at the knees because they've said something that, you know, well, I just can't abide people who aren't young earth creationists. Well, that's a whole lot of people you can't abide, and that's not biblical. So I'm cleaning this up here today on the show. First of all, because if there was a piece of information that proved what he said wrong definitively, then I would play that. And I would say, it looks like I was wrong. He was wrong, yada, yada, yada. But that's not the case here. If and when that happens, you'll see it. You'll hear it here. I did it on my last show, uh, the weekend show that I had before this one. I, and, and if found to be needed, I will do it again. Oh, you're not, you, you don't have to worry about me being up that high. I understand that as a human being, I not only can make mistakes, I probably will. And so the, the issue is not me being too proud to admit that I'm wrong. But on this case, I need definitive evidence that disproves what Dr. Ross has put in his book about the 20 different creation accounts in the Bible. It is to address all 20 of those accounts and definitively prove that what he asserts is not true. And then I would feel comfortable correcting the record. But instead of arguing with me about it, because I didn't write the book, Dr. Hugh Ross has a website, Reasons to Believe. And I think if you go there and look at the information that he shared, it's, it's not that, that you need to be convinced and change your mind about young earth creationism. It's that there's so much there, a wealth of knowledge that you can partake of. And he told us this weekend that we have to be, we have to have a gentle answer for those who question our faith because we don't want to offend them. So they never, ever are interested in learning about it. He said, we have to be knowledgeable and be able to defend what we believe because just saying, well, I have faith isn't going to be good enough for a skeptic. He also told a story about a time that he was flying on an airplane, going to a conference, and they called his name before the flight, before the boarding had begun, and he thought, oh, no, I'm getting bumped. He gets up there, and she says, we have a family of small kids and, and uh, uh, you know, parents, and we need to use your seat. Would you mind if we moved you? And he said, oh, I'm not getting bumped. No problem. Don't move me. So they give him his, you know, they print out the new ticket, hand it to him, and he's in first class. He's like, I've never ridden in first class before. This is um, amazing. So he goes and he sits down in his seat in first class as they board. A gentleman comes and sits down next to him. And he turns to him and he says, hi, my name is X. And I'm flying to California to go to Microsoft for a conference. And I'm an astrophysicist and I'm an atheist and I'm from Germany. <laughs> so Dr. Hugh Ross says, well, I'm Canadian. And I'm an astrophysicist and I'm a believer in Christianity. And they proceed to talk the entire flight. They've got this multi-hour flight. Their conversation was so interesting that the people behind them in first class, everyone was paying attention. He gives this man the only copy of the book about the subject 
that the guy was skeptical about. And he gives him the DVD about the creation. The only copy that he has that's in German, because he, he had just at that point, a few months before, begun to produce that CD in multiple languages. And he's t- after he tells us this story, he says there's no way, the probability, the, the, the other astrophysicist, the German guy, calculated the probability of the two of them actually meeting as being one in like some multiple millions of a chance. So he said this was no accident, the two of us meeting. I, I want to know more. So they shared information. They even stayed in the airport and talked for an additional hour. And Dr. Ross said there are many of us, all of us in the audience, he said, in, in the church, we're sitting there listening, that none of us were there by accident, that none of us learned of reasons to believe in his ministry by accident. He's also a pastor. He pastors a church. And that just like he has had hundreds of these encounters with people that he should have never met by all normal circumstances, he meets them. They ask him a question about creation, dark matter, um, you know, the origin of time and space, the different dimensions. He gets these questions from these people because they know he's an astrophysicist. And some of it is that they want to stump him. And the rest of it is that they're truly skeptical of Christianity because they're scientifically minded. They're either in the field or they have people in their family that are in the field. And they're not going to espouse Christianity if they can't prove without a shadow of a doubt that science and Christianity can exist together and that one proves the other. And so he said to us, The reason that I write all of these books and I do this is because you have these people that you're interacting with, whether it's on a plane, at a restaurant, in your in your Bible study, at your church. It it might be that you're it's the parents of a friend, your child's friend's parents that they know you're Christian, but they don't they don't really they don't know how to approach you because they're scientifically minded. And he said, if you read the books and educate yourself, then you will be that person who can explain the reason for the hope that lies within you. And draw others to Christ. And I could have just jumped out of my seat there at the church and just gave him a standing O right at that moment. It was during Q&A, so that would have been a little weird. But I saw a bunch of other people just kind of looking around and nodding their heads. He, He got us. That is what we're supposed to be doing. That's the Great Commission, to go out and make disciples of all men. If we're not doing that because we can't adequately defend why we believe what we believe, then we're being disobedient. We're not following what God has for us. And so, you know, I've, I had some super frustrating moments earlier today. And I was thinking, oh, you know how you just get to a place where you're like, I just want to go outside and run around and, you know, in a circle 50 times. I'm like, I can't do that. The show's coming up. I can't be all, you know, outside running around a circle. And it's hot outside. And I was thinking, you know, I just, I feel a headache coming on. I feel that. And then I remembered these are the classic signs of an attack. You're afraid. You've got a whole lot of stuff on your mind. You can't think straight. Now you're starting to have some physical pain. So I started listening to some, some praise music. I prayed and I did some, you know, just sang along with the music. I'm no singer, believe me. And I began to feel a lot better about it. And so you see what's happened so far this show. We've even had the audio corrupted and not able to be played, which You know, you can say it's an attack of the enemy or you can say the audio is corrupted, whatever you want to call it. But if you're sitting in the audience and you're listening to this and you've heard me say all of this about Dr. Hugh Ross, whether you accept it and you're fantastically excited by it or you're absolutely rejecting it right now and you're wishing that this hour hadn't been switched over. In any case, you aren't here by accident. And so the the thing that you have now that faces you is. Do you go forward and investigate more? Watch some of the YouTube videos. That's the easiest thing you can do. Just type in Hugh Ross 
astrophysicist, and all of his stuff will come up. Or you can go to the library and check out some of the books. Or you can go on Amazon and order some of the books, and they'll be at your house in two days. It's up to you. But I believe he said what he said, and I was sitting there instead of not being at church or maybe only going to the 9 a.m. because he said this at the 11 a.m., I was meant to hear what he had to say. And I meant to read the books and I meant to be a stronger defender of the faith and be able to answer scientifically minded people in my world as to why I believe what I believe, as opposed to only going by what I know from the Bible, which is great. Biblical reasoning is fantastic. But God has given us another avenue in which to defend the faith, and that is through science. Um, I don't know enough to quote everything that he said. But it was a wonderful presentation. And you can find all of that online as well. I'll put a link to that as well if you want to watch some of the sessions that he did at our church. It was a phenomenal time. Um, just, you know, you know when you're listening to someone who is not just an expert, but an, a preeminent expert in a field. And it was just so wonderful. Um, we did not have time to do calls in this segment. But what we will do is do some in the next segment. So we'll have news and information up next. Uh, and then we'll come back in with some audio from Joe De Genova talking about Papadopoulos getting those 14 days in prison. That's interesting stuff. I thought it was some of the best uh, that I'd heard of an interview of somebody kind of sharing their expertise. And I think he used to be a former U.S. attorney or something like that. So he's, he's got a background in this. And we'll take calls, 866-963-2037. That's when we get back. Um, and, you know, just take it for, for what it is. Not a reason to divide. We don't divide over issues like young earth or old earth creationism. We divide over the doctrinal issues that determine whether or not someone truly is actually talking about Christianity, the foundational aspects of it. Um, And, you know, be encouraged. If you're feeling frustrated, get some praise and worship music going and thank God for the journey. All right. That's the first hour. We'll be back with hour two right after this. StaceyOnTheRight.com.